This is Polyoptics, shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar. Thanks for joining us as we pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and it is only on POTUS, Politics in the United States. This week, New Hampshire Palooza. Mitt Romney announces for president. Sarah Palin crashes the party. And hey, isn't that Rudy Giuliani? The war of optics is underway, and we already have some winners and losers. We'll talk all that, plus Wienergate and John Edwards' indictment with ABC's chief political correspondent, Jonathan Carl. And then, on-the-ground analysis from New Hampshire Public Radio's Josh Rogers and Scott Lehigh of the Boston Globe. I am joined, as usual, by Josh King co-founder of the website polyoptics.com. Now, Josh was production chief in the Clinton administration, as I was production chief in the George W. Bush White House. And it's great to have you here, pal. It's great to be here, Adam. This is a week that really sees incredible contrast from the effect of social media on political discourse. And of course, I'm referring to the, uh, I cannot say with certitude that that is not me, <laughs> picture of Anthony Weiner, congressman from Brooklyn to uh, old-school, traditional uh, politicking on the hustings in Stratham, New Hampshire, and a very traditional-looking, in to my eye, beautiful, but maybe uh, overly produced announcement from Governor Mitt Romney in New Hampshire. That's right. The, uh, the, the politics uh, that we are seeing uh, unfold before our eyes is geared for one effect only, and that is to build a brand to grow energy and excitement around candidacies. And as you point out, Josh, and I will agree, I think uh, 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 not a dead-on uh, bullseye for Governor Romney this week, but I tell you, I am overwhelmed by Sarah Palin's bus tour because the pictures, every time I see them, I think they're compelling. Every time I see her, and really, Josh, I it's when I see her that I, I'm like, God, she's... She's got a charisma, and she is a very beautiful woman, and I see her interacting with people, and granted, she's preaching to the choir, but there is something that's just phenomenal about Sarah Palin right now, um, and she's not even in the race, and I don't mean to pretend that uh, I care about her as a candidate. I'm talking about the optics of it, Josh, because for me, she creates buzz, she creates excitement, she comes with her own backdrop. This woman knows how to play. She has barely said a substantive word on this tour, Adam. This tour that has brought her from Mount Vernon to Gettysburg to New York City and up to Boston and up to New Hampshire and should continue on. You have Sarah Palin, the package that is Sarah Palin uh, from head to toe, a very attractive package. You put her on a beautifully plastic-wrapped bus with the American Eagle and the hint of the U.S. Constitution. I love it! And you cannot, if you are a copy, a news editor or a network producer or a radio person or a guy, a photojournalist with a camera, you have nothing better to do because it's going to sell pictures and it's going to sell newspapers than assign yourself to cover this Sarah Palin non-tour because it offers the best pictures that are around. But we will cover all of this and more, including Wienergate. There, I said it, as we go forward in polyoptics. We 
are joined by a good friend uh, of ours, Jonathan Carl, who is the senior political correspondent at ABC News. Welcome to Polyoptics. Hey, thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, you have held just about every uh, major uh, reporting position at ABC News at this point. Uh, senior foreign affairs correspondent, national security correspondent. Your career has been just amazing in, in its reach and its breadth of uh, coverage. How do you find uh, your current role as being the senior political correspondent, John? Well, I just love politics. And by the way, the, the, the key thing in my ABC career was working with Adam Belmar. I mean, well, you're, I mean, you're too kind. That's the key. Uh, you know, look, it's, I had a great time covering the Pentagon, great time covering the State Department, great time covering the Hill. There's nothing better than covering presidential politics. Uh, this is what we live for. This is how I uh, first got into television covering uh, the 96 campaign for CNN. It's going to be, uh, it was a you know, fantastic campaign season in in 2010, going out and, you know, watching the, the rise of the Tea Party movement, uh, spending time with some of the most unconventional uh, statewide candidates we've ever seen, people like Sharon Angle and Christine O'Donnell and uh, John Racy in, in West Virginia. And now we're off to the races in a, what's going to be um, a pretty raucous uh, Republican nominating process. John, you say when you were with uh, CNN in 96 covering Clinton's reelect against Bob Dole, I see some parallels in uh, what may be a 2012 matchup between an incumbent Democratic president with all the trappings of incumbency and a bunch of Republicans trying to uh, take the title of nominee. And the last few cycles, if you think about people like John McCain, these were the anointed ones, the people who had served the most time, run in enough cycles, and finally got their shot. Do you see someone in this field who is going to emerge as a, a really vital and interesting and compelling candidate to some crossover voters? Or might we go with a, a candidate who just, it's their time to run? You know, it, it's interesting this time. We do have a front runner. We have a clear front runner. It's, it's Mitt Romney. Uh, he's got, he's a front runner both in terms of the national polls, in terms of his fundraising ability, in terms of the, the campaign apparatus he's already built up. He is, Undoubtedly, a front runner, but it, but this is different than than Dole or or Bush, or or even or even Reagan, who had been through uh, several times. This is the this is the weakest front runner we have seen in, in a long time for, from for the Republicans. Romney is there; he's got all those obvious strengths, and he's got weaknesses that make him, you could argue, uh, unelectable in, in a Republican primary. Uh, the problem is that you look at the people who would most likely be trying to push him off that, uh, you know, you know, out of, out of this race. And, and they've also got weaknesses that you could argue make it impossible for them to grab the, uh, the, the nomination. But obviously somebody gets it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> somebody's going to get it. Somebody gets it. And, and Adam, it's going to be a nomination well worth having. Oh, uh, sure. You know, I mean, we're looking at unemployment numbers today, 9.1%. If we're looking at Unemployment anywhere near uh, north of eight percent in 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 the fall of of 2012, we're going to have a, an incumbent president that, that, that that's that's really beatable, and well, that's a big difference from '96. When we think about Mitt Romney, and I I want to really talk about that in a few minutes because he did announce for president, um, albeit in my humble opinion with a bit of a whimper, um, this week up in New Hampshire. Uh, I I want to turn to something that's even more present here at the end of the week, and we had a former presidential candidate, uh, a former U.S. senator from North Carolina, 
uh, in John Edwards, who has just, you know, he's had a son die, a wife pass from cancer who was estranged, a mistress, a love child. And while there's not even a permanent grave marker on Elizabeth Edwards' uh, grave, the the indictment has come down against Edwards. Uh, the optics on this, I think, are very, very poor for the Democratic Party, but also for President Obama, whose former White House counsel is out there in the spotlight defending John Edwards. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And you just think about Greg Craig, who's, you know, such, he's such a, such a great uh, attorney. I mean, he's, he's, he's the guy you'd, you'd want. But to go so quickly from being the White House counsel to be in a position of, of being the, the face defending John Edwards... And don't don't forget. I mean, Edwards was Edwards was certainly somebody that uh, was was looked at as a as an attorney general possibility, as a, as a running mate possibility um, uh, for for Obama. The, the, the fall. Just take a step back, Adam. The fall for this guy is is just amazing. Um, and and you look at this indictment, and the the, the thing that stuck at that, that kind of popped out to me was that the money involved here nearly a million dollars uh you know raised to to try to buy silence in this whole mess i mean it's uh, it's amazing so john you know a lot of people that we know in common people like jonathan prince jennifer palmieri uh people who really spent i don't know four or six years of their lives uh working for this guy people like sam Myers senior who we know well um and who disappointed them uh, in a serious way, uh, because they they did believe him. And if you think just back to 2007 in Iowa, uh, this was a, a serious candidate, well financed. It leads this to this question: If you think, in some ways, that President Obama does not use a lot of glitz and glamour to to who he is, he's a pretty sober and serious guy. And you think of some of the uh, characters and personalities who have emerged so far in 2012. Is this not a argument for in continued sobriety in the type of people who aspire to the to the highest office? Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 certainly think to think about the the you know if John Edwards wins instead of coming in, comes in second if he wins Iowa, you know he he, he goes on. I mean, he's he, it's it's just didn't get that far from being the next president of the United States. So uh, I guess it you know we we, we like to condemn. Uh, media obsession with uh, with with personal lives and uh, and raise questions about the boundaries of privacy for public figures, but this is one case where you say you know I mean I don't know if anybody's saying thank God for the National Enquirer, but um, but uh, I know, you know a few people are saying that, but <laughs> but, know, but 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 imagine if if he had actually gone there and 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 this had not come out until uh, until after he was in the White House. You know the. Uh, just to pull back one more step before we turn to the most salacious of stories from this week. <laughs> um, but from an optics perspective, I just think that it's good to cast all of what's going on with Edwards and his uh, his lawyer, Greg Craig, in, in a bit of a broader context for listeners uh, of polyoptics here on POTUS, Sirius XM 124. You you have to remember that the, the state of North Carolina was won by the Obama uh, campaign in 2008, but it's an important state, and they are having the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte. Okay, if you were to go and sum up 
um, all of the presidential trips and first lady trips and cabinet. North Carolina is right up near the top of places that they have put a lot of energy into. And this is really not looking good or helpful for the Obama campaign, I think, in North Carolina. Well, uh, uh, two things. One, you're absolutely right about North Carolina. North Carolina is arguably the new Ohio. I mean, you, you, you talk to the folks out at Obama headquarters in Chicago about the way they look at the map. Uh, they, they are now looking at a situation where North Carolina and Virginia throw in Colorado. Those three states might arguably be more important than than Ohio and even Florida. I mean, because they're looking at demographic issues, economic issues that may make both Florida and Ohio tough for, for President Obama to win. They think they can win even if they lose both of those states because they can come in and uh, have a good chance in North Carolina, Virginia, Colorado. So North Carolina is central. It is not an accident that they decided to put the uh, the Democratic Convention in, in Charlotte. As you know, Cleveland was one of the states. Exactly. It was, yep. was, uh, was also a finalist. Uh, you could argue they went to North Carolina because it's actually, at this point, maybe even more important than Ohio. So so absolutely. But I don't know. Does, 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 does I mean, Edwards is a scoundrel, right? I mean, Edwards is somebody that you can't find anybody left to defend. Does anybody really think that he has anything to do, uh, anything in common uh, with, with with Barack Obama? I mean, I understand well, the optics of... besides his lawyer, of, and uh, you're right. It, it's a bit of a stretch, but I think it won't go beyond uh, uh, the, the intention of people to try and make that case. But, Josh, I know you're yep. chomping at the bit. Well, I just want to bring the the conversation from uh, from North Carolina up to New York City, uh, and uh, and some of the things that were affecting New York this week, and certainly with a national overtone. First, John, you tweeted about eleven minutes ago to your nine thousand six hundred and four followers that you had <laughs> That's pizza at John with Carl, by the way, at J O N K A R L. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that you had pizza with Republican presidential candidate Herman Cain, and he took a shot at the way the Donald had pizza the other day in New York City at a, a sort of second-tier pizza chain with Sarah Palin. So I'm curious about about what Herman Cain thinks about the Donald's eating with a knife and a fork uh, a slice of good old New York pizza. And then, obviously, we want to segue to uh, the congressman from Brooklyn. But tell sure. us about Herman oh, that Cain. that guy, right. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, th- th- this was outrageous, right? I mean, can we just say it? I mean, can we, Adam? <laughs> Absolutely, because outrageous. outrageous is exactly what I mean, it was. I mean, I mean, Donald Trump is sitting there... Uh, with Sarah Palin eating pizza, and, he, and not only is he eating it with, with a knife and a fork, which, I mean, please, but, but he's mangling it. I mean, <laughs> he, he, it's, it's almost like the guy has never seen a slice of pizza before. And, and he's out pretending they're out, you know, enjoying them. Anyway, Herman Cain said, I mean, he went right at the Donald on this. Absolutely. He said, look, he, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. That's why he thinks you eat pizza with a knife and a fork. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, we sat down. We had some pizza from, from We the Pizza, Chef Spike's, uh, you know, great place up, yeah. on, uh, up on Capitol Hill. And we, 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 we talked uh, pizza and politics. It's and not had- exactly John Kerry's uh, faux pas at Gino's uh <laughs> in 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 Philadelphia, uh, king of king of steaks, but it is it does just sort of belie a, a very serious disconnect between what normal people do and what what average uh, commonplace American practice in life is uh, with somebody who is so obviously right. trying to tweak his television ratings. But 
you know, nothing has captured the attention of Americans, especially those who are plugged in and watch shows like yours on ABC News Top Line uh, that you do every day, but but also your reporting uh, on ABC News World News uh, with with Diane Sawyer. You sat down with Anthony Weiner this week. You have been, uh, you know, out there reporting on this. What in the heck is going on up on Capitol Hill that a congressman's image has been destroyed? under these circumstances. And maybe I've gone too far to say that it's been destroyed. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but, Adam, this is one of the strangest. I mean, we've, we've covered some strange stories over the years. This is one of the most bizarre. I, I mean, I was sitting there across from Anthony Weiner uh, talking to him about, uh, about this whole saga, and I, I just utter disbelief when he's telling me that he cannot tell me if that image is of him. I know. I mean, of I all mean, the people I mean, you could have talked to, he's sitting down with John Carl, who's going to always ask a fair question and give you the time to respond. You're not going to get interrupted, and you're certainly not going to get uh, snarky journalism. But he just absolutely cannot stop putting his foot in it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 amazing, and and he's. You know, he called in everybody. I mean, he did interviews with everybody. And uh, you'd think that by the time you're doing that, after having avoided uh, doing this for so, you know, for, for several days, it, that you'd have an answer to the questions. It's, it's, it's really, really strange. Now, Wiener, uh, going into this thing, as you well know, Adam, a clear front runner for, for mayor of New York. I mean, we're ahead of ourselves a bit. They race not until 2013. But, but you know, Wiener... Uh, seems to be you know, almost ready to start measuring measuring the window treatments uh, at uh, City Hall on uh, Gracie Mansion, uh, but um, but but th- this thing looks looks really bad. I mean, he's he's a laughing stock in, in in New York. I mean, maybe at one point we'll get we'll actually get an explanation out of this. He has hired this firm. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. He hasn't specified really how they're going to do it. I mean, as we've all pointed out, if you wanted to find out where that thing came from. You just pick up the phone and call Twitter, and they would look at the, uh, you know, they 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 would take a look and they can see where it was posted from. Yeah, you, you know, it it um, it recalls uh, John the late 1990s and the phrase that uh, is burned into all of our collective consciousness. It depends on what the definition of is is. Right. And uh, uh, his his use of the word I can't say with certitude. <clears throat> and is one of the great statements. That's it, like. <laughs> and then earlier in the week, John, he 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 had he went on this riff in his uh, sort of press conference outside his office, in which he to respond to the basic yes or no question, he has this riff about how he says if he's talking to forty five thousand people and someone throws an egg um, or someone a throws a pie, yeah. you 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 ignore it, um, and that just seemed to me as a somewhat. Uh, educated listener of these constructed statements, so overly constructed as to write them off pretty quickly. Because I'm not ignoring the guy that's throwing the pie. Are you? No, that's no. news, baby. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I want to know about the pie. Why? What kind of pie is it? Where's it being? Infl- but who but made that, that pie? <laughs> but you know, this whole thing though is. I mean, to think that we're spending all this time over some stupid photograph that somebody spent, you know, sent on Twitter. I mean, if he had just come out and, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what he could have done, but uh, this was not going to be a story. What made it a story was the way he handled it. I mean, when, right. when, when you're there saying some of the, the, the ridiculous things he was saying, and when you're calling our good friend Ted Barrett a jackass, <laughs> I mean, we all know Ted Barrett, CNN producer up yep. here on Capitol Hill. 
uh, you know. <laughs> well, he also called the cops on some New York press who were in town yesterday in his office from the CBS affiliate, um, and, and that didn't play very well for the folks at home. No, and, and this is a guy who, you know, uh, beat out Chuck Schumer to the game of, 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 of getting in front of cameras as fast. You know, he's got Chuck Schumer's old seat, obviously, and, you know, the old thing people say about Chuck Schumer, the most dangerous place in Washington to be is between Schumer and a camera. That, I mean, Wiener outdid Schumer on that stuff. I mean, he, he'd want to, he, he's the go-to guy on anything. Um, so to have him calling the police <laughs> to get media out of his office is, uh, is something else. Well, he's uh, he's taken his uh, his advocacy uh, and his self promotion uh, very seriously because he's been engaged in doing a lot of this stuff himself, as we now know. Um, and I think there's been some some real judgment questions. But as with most things uh, in politics, it's usually not the the quote unquote crime, but it's the cover up and, and this obfuscation of facts and reticence to um, deliver clear statements uh, of things that I think are probably factual at this point in in, in his and his, his entourage's uh, opinion, uh, lest they have some major inquiry uh, that's going to turn something up differently. They know exactly what happened, and they don't want to talk about it, and, and that's fine. But when you are out there talking about 45,000 followers on Twitter, um, <laughs> right. you know, you're obviously garnering attention. Let me turn, John, to one last thing before we, we let you go, because uh, it is... Uh, it's a workday, after all, and the news has to get filed. Um, I really did think that uh, Mitt Romney's uh, announcement was a bit of a whimper. Uh, it wasn't a very strong, full-throated, I'm running for president. It, uh, it was a sort of, in my opinion, rather... If you read the transcript, you would have thought that it went a little bit better than I feel like it did in person. And even the picture uh, in the New York Times was wanting. We're going to talk about this uh, later on in the show with some folks from uh, New Hampshire and Boston who are up there covering in person. But what's your take on that? Well, uh, you know, it'd be interesting. We talk, you mentioned Herman Cain. It'd be kind of interesting to look side by side. This would be a perfect kind of polyoptics thing to do and, and, and look at look at Cain's announcement and, uh, and Romney's. I mean, Cain's... Uh, you know, f- f- by by most indications, a a fringe candidate who who now appears to have actually some 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 legitimate mo- momentum, uh, but but not a candidate that's taken seriously uh, by 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 most of uh, the people in our business, at least not yet. And um, you know, he 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 had the, he had a big announcement in in uh, Atlanta, and he had uh, I I think powerful visuals, yeah, right? yeah, powerful visuals, a lot more people than than, than Romney had, and he's. And and one thing you got to say about Herman Cain, watch him. I mean, he's a he's a fiery speaker. Um, Romney, we've seen. You know, it's kind of like uh, you, you kind of get the sense when you saw him come out that he never stopped running for president, right? That this he just is, took off his tie. Right, he took off his tie. But it's more than that, Josh. He took off his suit jacket too. That is true. I mean, right. The I tie mean, and you know, the jacket. It's a whole I mean, new this Romney. Is, this is an entirely new Romney now. Uh, some people have suggested that he, when he got dressed in the morning, he got dressed in his suit and then he took it off to go out. So we're not sure that you know we, we have to look into this. But but this is entirely <laughs> new Romney. You want to hear a funny thing? Yeah. Just an aside, real quick, before we let you go. When I was when I left ABC News and I was working in the White House, uh, you know we we'd be doing these foreign trips, and of course the, you know the president uh, would be whatever floor of the hotel that we were occupying, and 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 not far down the way would be the national security advisor. And, and, and when I was there, that was Stephen Hadley. And Hadley was always the most buttoned up guy. And they tell the story about one night 
bunch of uh, senior advisors are sitting around having a cigar in one of these suites, not far from the president's suite. It's kind of late. And the fire alarm goes <clears throat> off. And people are just rolling because the service is moving. Everybody's like thinking that there's a real issue. And before they could get the word out, people are rolling out of their rooms. They're in their skivvies, whatever. And who comes walking out of his room at like three in the morning in a coat and tie fully? <laughs> Stephen yeah, Hadley. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Mitt Romney. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's Mitt Romney. Jonathan Carl, I really thank you for joining us on uh, on Polyoptics. Uh, of course, you can follow him on Twitter, and there's not anything racy there. No, at nothing at John all. Carl, uh, at J-O-N-K-A-R-L. Get some more followers, John. You got it right, Josh Adams. It's great talking to you guys. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Talk to you soon. As we talked earlier, Adam, New Hampshire is a very near and dear state to me. My wife is from New Hampshire, and I spend a lot of time driving its highways and byways. And my radio is always tuned to NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio, and its uh, statehouse reporter is a guy I listen to a lot. Josh Rogers has been at NHPR since 2000, and and is their statehouse reporter, and he, he also worked in New York for a bunch of magazines. And uh, you can hear him all over New Hampshire and uh, and often comes on All Things Considered as well. Uh, and obviously had an incredible week uh, in New Hampshire this week with, one, the national campaign rollout uh, in stratum of former Governor Mitt Romney, Massachusetts, followed quickly by the visit of former part-time Alaska Governor Sarah Palin to Seabrook, and at the same time, uh, a little farther north, North Conway, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. So, Josh, are you constantly on 89 and 101 to, to see these places? Uh, yesterday, uh, certainly a lot of time on 101. Uh, didn't get it up to uh, see uh, Mayor Giuliani, but uh, was at Romney and uh, tried to catch up with uh, Governor Palin and did briefly at the end of the day. Did Governor Palin have anything specific to say to you, or was she just grabbing a, a lobster roll in Seabrook? Well, she uh, she said she liked New Hampshire, and uh, I guess she told me personally that she planned to uh, continue uh, driving around in her bus after a break uh, in Alaska. Uh, she you know, it was a, it was an odd it was an odd circumstance. I mean, it was very kind of paparazzi. Uh, after Romney got done, she rolled into town probably within you know ten or fifteen minutes of of Romney's speech. Uh, he was in Stratum. Portsmouth is about you know five six miles away. That's like a nine uh, iron. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, her her uh, bus was parked outside. Uh, its alarm was going off. The lobby of the hotel was full of reporters. Everyone wondering when she was going to emerge. Uh, she came out the side door. Uh, said she was headed for Seaport. Uh, she <laughs> meant Seabrook, uh, which is uh, a couple, th- couple towns south of uh, of Portsmouth, uh, best known for a nuclear reactor. Uh, she met with some fishermen at the co-op and then uh, had what was called a clam bake, but uh, basically a picnic. There were some people uh, steaming some clams over a large Bunsen burner across the street. A lot of reporters watching people. Josh Rogers, uh, you know, we're excited to have you on Polyoptics. And it sounds like um, not only was it a busy day, but you were really appreciating the theater of politics that was being ginned up there. Take us back to this uh, farm where uh, Mitt Romney announced for president. You were standing there, part of the collective crowd, watching this, correct? Yes. Talk about the energy. Was there one, or was there some? It, it seemed for folks who were watching on TV to be kind of a small crowd and and not something uh, befitting uh, a 
presidential front runner uh, in Mitt Romney. What was your take on 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 the announcement? Well, I, you know, it seemed like there were a lot of people when I was driving up there, and uh, the the the, the hayfields were full of cars. Uh, the campaign would say that there were a thousand people there. Uh, there wasn't a great deal of energy. It was, you know, kind of an older crowd, a lot of establishment Republicans. Uh, and you know, not far from electric. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney is not not a surprise. He's running. Uh, he's been doing so pretty much since uh, the day he got out of the race uh, last time, uh, collecting his silvers, as you may remember. Uh, you know, he connected with some of his supporters. Uh, you know, the jury's out. Every poll up here suggests he's in a commanding lead. The the most recent poll taken by the University of New Hampshire suggests that you know his support is larger than his next uh, the next four candidates combined, but. I didn't talk to many people yesterday who came away from his speech galvanized, electrified, kind of to the ramparts for Romney. Uh, it was pretty standard fare. J- Josh, um, well, on the one hand, uh, it may not have been that electrifying an event, but my, uh, I'm so happy for you and your colleagues at NHPR and at the Manchester Union Leader, the Concord Modern, and the Portsmouth Herald. At least you have some activity going on up there. It seemed for a while like uh, the campaign would never get started. What has been the, the thought process in the country stores and the coffee counters where people are talking politics about when their quadrennial, quadrennial event was really going to get going? Well, uh, you're right in that uh, compared to the last go-round, it has started slowly. Uh, you know, for Romney, I mean, the thinking for him has been, uh, you know, I'm out ahead. People know who I am. Uh, if I can avoid being the front runner, which is a dangerous thing to be here, uh, then then I can just organize and raise money and, and you know, hit the campaign for when I need to. Uh, you know, voters here are, you know, kind of studiously unimpressed. I mean, some of it's kind of a game. I mean, they act like they're not interested uh, certainly a lot of people were like, oh, so what? Sarah Palin's coming to town. But there were still plenty of uh, onlookers uh, wherever her bus was. Uh, you know, it is getting going in earnest. I mean, the last couple of weeks, you know, in addition to Romney, Palin, Rudy, uh, you know, John Huntsman, uh, Gary Johnson, uh, you know, Buddy Romer, Thaddeus McCotter. Like, Michelle you know, Bachman. Not, yeah, Michelle Bachman. Uh, you know, Santorum's been here many, many times. Herman Cain has been here, uh, he, he told me a couple of days ago, this is his 13th visit, and his crowds are getting bigger. Uh, Palenti his, was here, you know, 10 days ago. Uh, you know, Gingrich was here last week. So it, it's getting going in earnest, and I mean, the expectation is with the formal entrance of, of Romney in the race, you know, we're going to see more activity. You know, um, the optics of Sarah Palin's bus tour are pretty powerful elements for television and print coverage. The bus is a tool that is often utilized uh, on the campaign trail. But in this case, because she's not officially running, she's still doing what she was always doing, uh, sort of promoting herself, her pack, and uh, her, her uh, you know, relationship with Fox News. Josh Rogers, I, I want to know, didn't you see all of that as being just a little bit more evocative and, you know, sort of visually stimulating than some of the stuff you've seen from all the other candidates you've talked about? Or is that just not impress up there? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, certainly it was a, it was a, it was more, uh, you know, exciting. And there was certainly the sort of pack mentality of the press was uh, triggered uh, in terms of, 
you know, who's going to get to the next place the bus uh, arrives at first. Uh, you know, people were driving, you know, crazily uh, to get there. Uh, you know, a colleague uh, from the Boston Globe, you know, called me after when we were in the parking lot when Palin came out and he, he dropped his notebook uh, in the parking lot, lost it. Uh, there certainly wasn't that going on with the others, but it's hard to say. We're we're very long ways away from voting, clearly. And, you know, apart from people who do it professionally or, you know, kind of self-styled, uh, you know, sort of primary, uh, you know, kind of almost groupies among the voters, like the people aren't paying attention, uh, truly. Josh, Adam and I... Uh talked for a while in our previous broadcast about the visit up to New Hampshire, uh, former Utah governor and ambassador to China, John Huntsman. <clears throat> and he seemed to get a little notice in in national circles because uh, he had the usual kind of C-SPAN coffee coverage on his trip out to Keene. You could see him talking for 45 minutes. He made the obligatory stop at the country store. He actually visited a Harley dealership in New Hampshire to show that he is a guy who will ride a hog. Did that seem to turn any heads and to say, well, if you look at the people who've won the New Hampshire primary on the Republican side over the last many cycles, uh, John McCain, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, is Huntsman a guy who seemed to come out a little bit from the woodwork and you, he might just appeal to a New Hampshire Republican electorate? Well, the, the, I, I think that there's a possibility, and, and the, the you know the primary electorate here it's an open primary, and there's nothing on the Democratic side, and uh, you know independent or undeclared voters, as they call them here, make up you know forty percent of the electorate. So a lot of them are going to be voting in the Republican primary, and uh, the thing that struck me most about Huntsman, I, I followed him around for a good deal of that trip, was he was really you know almost speak uh, coming it was a different register of campaigning i mean a lot of the other people there's a lot of sort of at this time of year a lot of fist uh pumping uh you know kind of tea party-ish rhetoric uh a lot of apocalyptic stuff about how the country's going to hell and you know we're at uh you know a breaking point we're gonna you know the sort of american exceptionalist we're gonna lose what makes us americans if we don't correct course uh He's, he he gets at some of those messages, but he also says, you know, we need to be more civil, we need to be more respectful, uh, we're all Americans here. Uh, how that sort of thing plays out uh, will be interesting to watch, but it was a lot, it was very different, and, and a lot of the people advising him up here are, are McCain folks, and so they, you know, know how to put together the more old-style campaign events, and so that's what we're seeing, and he's back up here this weekend doing much the same thing, uh, traversing you know, the northern part of the state where very few people live. But again, he's stopping at hotels. He's uh, going to, you know, hunting stores. He's Berlin, you know, Gorham, like, Lebanon. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, Littleton. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's also a place where you can kind of, you know, he's a bit rusty as a campaigner. That was another thing that, that, that sort of came through in terms of fielding questions from voters. Uh, you know, a, a guy gets up and says, are you going to audit the Fed? You know, he's pretty clearly some sort of like Ron Paul diehard. And he sort of gets into this lengthy discussion being like, well, what what do you believe you'd find if, if the Fed were audited? I mean, you could argue that that may not be a productive way to spend your time if you're campaigning. And there were several instances where you said, well, you know, a, a more uh, seasoned campaigner might have handled that individual situation a little differently. 
Uh, well, so he's, but he's 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 been out of it for a while. Well, when he gets to the North Country, I think he's going to be asking some ask some vastly different questions, and hopefully, as you as you well know, there are not a lot of voters up there, but there are some beautiful uh, backdrops and quintessential New Hampshire images that, when they make their way back to uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, Time Magazine, can lend a credible patina to a guy who. Uh, who actually needs some images that are beyond his standing with uh, Chinese bureaucrats in Beijing and uh, and his time out west in Utah. Josh Rogers, I hope you'll come back to Polyoptics uh, as you follow the candidates around New Hampshire, and it'd be great to be able to check in with New Hampshire Public Radio from time to time. Thanks for coming on Anytime. Polyoptics. You're welcome. You could call it New Hampshire Palooza, but it's just another episode of Polyoptics. But we are going to take one more cut at uh, local coverage with one of the top political reporters in Boston. Scott Lehigh joins us from the Boston Globe. He was up in New Hampshire this week covering the, the Romney presidential campaign rollout. Scott, welcome to Polyoptics. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What was the deal up there? It seemed like it was just a little bit slow, just a little bit low energy, and not exactly what I expected from a front-runner rollout. What did you see? Well, the event itself, I, I thought the visuals were beautiful. I mean, the nice rolling farm. They had a lot of people there. Um, big field full of cars, that 20-minute wait to get out of the lot, and there's Mitt sort of standing on a on a bunch of hay, I guess, you know, a little. Uh, and you know, he and Ian sort of in, in casual attire, Nice-looking couple. I thought this uh, the and, and it was a you know, beautiful New Hampshire outdoory day. So it wasn't a uh, you know wasn't a here we are in a VFW hall or a convention center surrounded by a bunch of political hacks type of thing. So that part of it I thought was was quite good and kind of a nice windy day. You know, Mitt, Mitt usually has a hair gel in that will hold his hair to about forty-five miles an hour. But it was a it was the, altogether. I think it was. I a, saw. I saw the news reports this week about that wind, and uh, many reporters said the wind was strong enough to even ruffle uh, Romney's hair. But Josh King, I honestly didn't think that there was this crystallized moment of passion that you sometimes want, expect, or need from a presidential candidate. Uh, Mitt Romney sort of in not very robust, full-throated tone said, I'm Mitt Romney. I care about America. I'm running for president. I believe in America, he said. I believe I, in America. I, I think there's an interesting study in contrast between four years ago when he started in, in Michigan uh, and then flew over to the, the major primary and caucus states in a very, and certainly wore his suit jacket and his tie. And this was a, an unplugged Mitt Romney. Uh, Scott, your, your colleague Matt Weiser uh, wrote about how he and Ann and certainly many members of their campaign staff cooked up 36 crockpots worth of chili in their Boston headquarters and shipped it up to Stratum uh, to the Clement Farm. Um, you've covered Mitt Romney for a long time uh, uh, in Boston, covering him as the governor of Massachusetts and then his run in 2004. You've written a couple columns about him uh, so far. And I think, you know, while you seem to tweak him in your most recent uh, column and think of column Rip Van Winkle a bit, I think you do see... Uh, a former Governor Romney who's learned from some of his past mistakes. Would you say that? I, I 
hope that's true. You know, I, when Mitt, you know, when he ran here in 94, he was a very progressive Republican, kind of in the tradition of his father. When he came back and ran in 2002, he had moved um, considerably rightward, but he was, a, he was a moderate, or at least positioned as a moderate. Then about a year and a half into his term, he, he started to restructure himself as a South Carolina Republican, and it was very disconcerting to the state, and it seemed and was, I think, completely expedient. This speech was a speech that didn't touch social issues at all. It was all on jobs and the economy, more of the issues that you think of as being right in Mitt's wheelhouse. But I would agree there wasn't a lot of passion to it. And, and I thought, he, I thought he, he trafficked in some very tired conservative tropes. The, the president went around the, the world on an apology tour. I mean, people have looked at that, and it's just not really true. You know, the, the fact-check people have looked at the speech. And, and some of the things that you almost have to say uh, if you're a Republican now, the type of thing you, you see in Newt's book or you see in, in Huckabee's book, but, but when you really examine them, it, it's just kind of red meat for the, uh, the Tea Party crowd, I think. Um, so I, but I did feel like there wasn't really a huge energizing passion to this speech. It was, here I am, I'm a good guy, a little laid back, maybe a little more moderate than last time around, and, and I'm a, the jobs and economy candidate, but I, it didn't crackle. That's what's dangerous, I think, about this uh, approach to um, having a campaign rollout in what I agree with you and disagree with Adam a bit was a, <clears throat> a beautifully picturesque New Hampshire scene in Stratum. Uh, but when you when you consign the speech writing to your Republican team and you put it up on teleprompters in the middle of hay bales, uh, thank and, you. That is uh, my point. Uh, yeah, if that didn't work well, the uh, teleprompter is a little strange. I mean, this does not. The, 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 and and while you're right, Scott, he does trying to to show a bit more of a a moderate approach with the no tie and the no jacket. He still has the advanced teams and their matching blue T-shirts, and they're still using the hay bale, and they're still coaxing uh, old timers out to to an event with crockpots of chili. And even though uh, the the suit coat isn't on, I still feel the the, the same kind of produced excess of the republic of uh, of Romney effort. Yeah, I, I think that's a good a good observation. I mean, uh, taking a taking taking your tie off doesn't make you a different kind of person. It makes you a differently dressed kind of person. And uh, there's a distinction there that I sometimes think that the, that the Mitt folks miss. The other thing that's funny about Mitt, I, I stood right across the table from him and Anne while they were serving chili. And Anne, I think, is a genuinely warm yeah, person. Yeah, she of is fantastic. He's really nice. Mitt is a little uneasy in his skin. He's got a, a sort of quick flight distance. He just doesn't seem that comfortable around people, and he's kind of manic as a result of it. Here's a little chili for... <laughs> saying things that are just a little goofy as he tries to be every man. And, and even when the speech was done, they were out kind of working the crowd a little bit, shaking hands with people, but separating them from the crowd was this, this sort of... Uh, Cordon Sanitaire of hay bales that they were reaching over, you know, so I just think, Mitt, you just wish that he he could loosen up and be a little more, his friends, his close friends say he's a very charming, funny, relaxed, great guy. You don't see that kind of Mitt very often, really. You see him a guy, you see a guy who doesn't, but I was with a huntsman up in um, Wolfboro and then in Laconia about uh, two weeks ago. And you come up to the guy, and you want to talk to him, he's there, and he chats, and there was this woman who's in, in a pool hall where we were who seemed like she'd, you know, knocked back three or four beers, and she was a little bit on the edge. And he put his arm around her and was having fun with her and joking, and he very, very 
very much a people person, very comfortable. Mitt, if you're a reporter, it's hard to get close to him anymore. And he does seem just on edge even when he's trying to be loose. I, I love that description uh, because ultimately these are the things that will permeate the consciousness of the voters and create this uh, persona, the public persona that they quite literally will have to start to create from scratch. They have name recognition in some quarters. Now, Mitt Romney is much because, as we said, uh, has really been running for president since he stopped running uh, in during the 2008 campaign. But uh, he needs to create this new Mitt. And now, of course, we don't have the tie, we don't have the jacket, and there's been reporting that even the, the sort of collateral elements of the campaign have been sort of downgraded to a more average American style. The T-shirts are just two colors and they cost a lot less. And, you know, sort of getting on the Mitt, Mitt Romney bandwagon is more affordable than ever. Um, but, but ultimately, though, if he's not comfortable in his own skin and we see him in this great picturesque background with the two, you know, uh, teleprompter plates in front of him, it's... It's a bit of, of an incongruous shot, and I think that, Josh, is why you saw this picture on the cover of the New York Times. You could have had a lot of other pictures of this rollout be the one, but everyone seems to have keyed in on this one because inherent in the image is this, if you'll allow me, a uh, almost a diametrically opposed element that seems inherent to Mitt Romney's candidacy. Do you buy that at all, Josh? Or Scott, do you think there's anything to that? Well, I, I we've talked many times, Adam, about how I think photo editors do try and take the picture that uh, is gets into their editorial view of how a viewer who only has a minute to scan a front page should think of this candidate. I'm looking at the uh, uh, same day at the cover of the Portsmouth Herald, which is basically the backdoor newspaper uh, for where this event was in Stratum, and it shows a... a it shows Mitt Romney the way he'd probably love to be perceived uh, if he didn't have people like Adam Belmar and Josh King and Scott Lee High critiquing every move that he makes. Um, I'm also looking at the cover of the Boston Globe today. Uh, and again, this is the, the former governor's uh, of, of Massachusetts home paper, and he's consigned to the lower third of the paper uh, underneath a picture of of um, that's right. We uh, have to talk about what, tornado what was going on in Massachusetts. And, during and this. Sarah Palin gets equal billing just for walking the Freedom Trail, Scott <laughs> Lehigh. So what are you going to do if you're Mitt Romney? Well, you, you know, I mean, part of it is that, as you guys know, Mitt has been running for president. Uh, really, I mean, he's been running since since uh, probably the the days when he was managing the Olympics. And he, even though they said after were after the, the failed campaign, this is his. His probably his only bite of the apple. Everyone knew he was running this time, and he's been out there. So it wasn't really. I mean, it's not really news. It's only it's only you know certifying what everyone has known. So I think that that in the hurricane accounts for the placement. Sarah Palin. I mean, I I'm not someone who um, thinks that she's the weightiest person in the whole wide world. So so, but but she's got this strange sort of charismatic mischievousness that 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 works for you know the people she makes herself a story in some way um, but also scott she's remarkably attractive yes okay she's true. got she's a phenomenal body she that. dresses yes. really well yes. she pictures well yes. she comes with her own backdrop i mean she's like yes. just add water those things those things <laughs> are all true i mean what why why it would mean 
<laughs> the reporters are frantically following her up the East Coast as she goes here and there. Uh, you know, it, it, I mean, I, I'm someone who thinks she has absolutely no chance of ever being president of this country. And I think if she got into the race, it would be terrific for Romney because it, I don't think she ever will because I think she knows her own limitations. But I, I think it, it would make Romney look like Socrates. Can I let, was, let me share a, just a quick story on that? I have a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Jason Recker. Uh, he was uh, one of the, the 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 lead advance men in the Bush White House uh, when I was uh, in the Bush White House. And he, you know, every good campaign, Josh, you know this because you've been this guy, uh, needs a quarterback, somebody who's going to be the guy to call the ball on an operational standpoint when you're out on the road and you're and you're campaigning. And Jason was that guy for this bus trip. And, you know, he's been with her since the last campaign when she was running for vice president. But they have some very, I mean, listen, they may not have, have planned this as well or as far in advance as some would have thought that, that she might if she was running for president, which she says she's not. But what did they do? They really kind of executed this thing pretty well. They created buzz. They had her out there. She did lots of local news. They have some grown-ups who know what they're doing, who are following along and, and helping her out in a way that uh, I think shows through. Yeah, it depends on what you're... I mean, if you were saying, yes, if her goal is to create kind of a an interesting media spectacle, um, you know, hiding from the press and popping up here and there and tweaking Mitt uh, and, you know, taking a little shot at the at Romney care, that kind of thing. Yeah, that was very well done. But that's a whole a whole galaxy apart from showing yourself someone who, who is has the gravitas of, to be president. And I, I think that, I think people are amused by this and her followers, and there, but there's a, a certain group of people that have really bonded with her might think that she'd be, look at her numbers, they're horrendous. I mean, most people most people think that she's just, you know, very insubstantial. Scott, when we met in 1988, and I was working for the late Senator Paul Simon, <clears throat> living out of a tiny little apartment in Manchester, New Hampshire, and, and uh, going to the back loading dock of the union leader for to see the next day's paper and see if any of my events got nicely pictured at around midnight... Uh, and, you know, you were covering your, uh, probably one of your early campaigns for the Boston Phoenix, a great newspaper, and you had a Republican field that included uh, Vice President George H.W. Bush, right. Senator Bob Dole, Congressman Jack Kemp, Governor P., uh, Pete DuPont, and Reverend Pat Robertson. This That was an incredibly weighty field compared yes. to some yeah. of the circus acts we're talking about today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. My, my, my colleague, Brian McGurry, has a great line in his column today. Uh, he said, <laughs> forget the big tent, this is the circus tent. And I, I think that's right in a way. I mean, I think I look at three people here who are serious figures who could win. Uh, Mitt is a serious figure, polls well. He clearly could put this together. And, and I, I'm not saying he would, but he, he is someone who could plausibly beat Obama. I think perhaps John Huntsman could though I think he has real trouble, getting the, would have real trouble getting the nomination, having worked for Obama. And I think there's a, a, a possibility that, that Tipa, that Tim Pawlenty could, although I don't, he seems awfully boyish and, and kind of bouncy, and I'm, I'm not sure he could do it. But beyond that, I, tell me who in this field is really, I'm not saying couldn't win the nomination, but tell me any any other figure that who plausibly could be president of the United States. I just do not see it. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I don't even know how to answer that question right now because I, I think to some extent uh, we really need to see people do for themselves. They need to uh, get out there and prove it. And um, I think that there is some gravitas in this field in pockets, and we may yet see one or two more people get into this race. Yeah, Maybe possibly. even some folks we've already talked about. But uh, that's the perception reality game and the optics that are going to be so critical over these formative months of this campaign. Because while the people of New Hampshire are paying attention in a way because of a responsibility that they so readily accept uh, every four years, uh, so many Americans are not uh, that well attuned to the issues and or the candidates, and they're much more concerned with whether they're on the right or the left, what President Obama is doing and how effective he can be. So for him, it's still a race to lose, I think, um, and uh, it's going to be a hard-fought race, Josh, uh, to get to get President Obama, um, you know, to to really have a hard time losing to someone else as opposed to beating himself. No, I think that's right. I think uh, <clears throat> you, looking back at the past few cycles that that you've covered, that Scott's covered, uh, this has some elements of 1996 and of 2004. This is when an, a reasonably strong incumbent president uh, with all the trappings of incumbency gets to run again. And um, and it will be... D- definitely tough to beat tough to beat i do see some republican stars on the horizon i see uh marco rubio i see uh i see rick perry i see um the governor of new jersey so and if 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 things hold people with a lot of chance tend to keep their powder dry and not waste a lot of money or a lot of time running except to establish their uh their presence maybe for the next cycle but scott as as we close here, I wonder if, and we do think back to some of the the elections you've covered, and the fact that you've you were following Governor Huntsman a few weeks ago and up in Stratum with Governor Romney. How has this work changed for you? Do you still get the same charge out of driving north uh, over the border and and checking in on the process? I got to say, in the early part of it, I really do. I, I love New Hampshire. It's, it's a fabulous state, and I, I feel like I know it reasonably well. Know the people up there, and at the point of this of the campaign, where you can get where you can go in and and be in a room with 50 people, listen to the candidate, talk to him, talk to a few people like we were doing in this in this deck restaurant in, in Wolfboro with Huntsman. It's it's just a fabulous amount of fun. And later on, when it gets to when it gets to be the 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 huge cluster of uh, you know thousands or hundreds of reporters all over in the in the last week or two, uh, and you can't get to the candidate, and, and everything is just optics. Then it then it's uh, then I fade a little on. It's a little tiresome, but but this part of the process is, is really great. It's New Hampshire at its best. Scott Lehigh, thank you very much. You can find him at Boston.com. He's from the Boston Globe. Uh, we appreciate you being with us, and you know, giving the context of your experience covering these campaigns, and you know what you see on the ground in New Hampshire is is really what uh, the optics are, and uh, you're a great guest, and we're glad to have you on Polyoptics, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Josh, you know, this is one of those weeks that uh, has been huge in presidential politics, even on the edges, because uh, everybody has been taking a look at what's going on up in New Hampshire, who's going to get in, and then you see some of these things like we talked about, even with John Edwards, which has a presidential politics angle to it, not in this term, but in a previous run. Uh, it's been one hell of a week. It has been, Adam. Uh, and, you know, you, you see what's, what happens 
<clears throat> with things like John Edwards, and you hope that that's sort of closing the book on that chapter, at least for the this, the focus that we'll have on it, and that he'll have to defend himself uh, in the in the legal proceedings to come. But what what energizes me and excites me is to see these expectant candidates and announced candidates begin to hit places like Stratham and Portsmouth and Seabrook and Keene and Concord and Manchester and Berlin and Gorham and begin this quadrennial process anew in a way like Scott Lehigh talked about when it's just 15 people in a living room and and candidates really have to answer for themselves and the lenses are on them and you have these intimate conversations you never have at any other point in a president's uh, lifetime in office. So it's very exciting to me. It's where my own personal political involvement began back in 1987. So looking at these same places that have changed very little and people who have changed very little uh, is just a wonderful uh, part of the political season that's about to begin. One of the things that we're going to do as we go forward on polyoptics, especially through the next couple months, is Josh and I are going to take this show on the road. And we're going to take you deep inside a a presidential candidate's event. We may end up taking you to a presidential candidate's debate. Uh, We've produced these things. We've been behind the scenes. And our effort every week is to bring you along with us as we dissect them. Uh, But as always, we want to thank Catherine Caperton, who is our producer in Washington, for helping us bring this show to Sirius XM's POTUS channel. Uh, We will be back here next week with a new episode of Polyoptics. Thanks for listening. 